Good morning. morning. Too loud? Too quiet? Okay. Well, my name is Brad Grzenko. Some of you know me. Um, This is my wife, Michaela, our new son, Titus, and our son, Paul. So if you hear a screaming baby, it's probably one of mine. Um, I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll jump right into God's Word. Dear Lord, um, how majestic is your name. Lord, um, without your grace and love for us, we would be lost um, like driftwood on the ocean. God, um, we need your help. Um, We need your help every day, um, not just for salvation, which we absolutely needed. We thank you for your son, his death and resurrection, and that we have new life in him. But we also need your help, Lord, in this moment and in the days to come. Um, God, we need um, your support, your presence, um, to stand on your word, um, to preach the gospel faithfully, um, to be men and women, um, children of yours, um, children of God. God, I pray as we um, go to your word this morning that you might just work mightily um, in our hearts to convict us of sin, to draw us near to your son, and that we would walk as he walks, as First John says, that we would imitate your son in all of his ways. It's in his name I pray. Amen. If you'd be so kind, open up your Bibles to First Timothy. First Timothy. I'm going to read one verse from chapter 3. First Timothy 3, verse 15. First Timothy 3, verse 15. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. It's a joy to be here and to be in God's word with you um, for a Bible conference. And it's here in the book of 1 Timothy that Paul is encouraging Timothy um, to stand on God's word, the Bible. But it's interesting here in verse 15 of chapter 3, Paul calls us the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. But even more than that, in the beginning, he calls us the house of God. The house of God. Now, some translations now would translate this as household of God. But the point is, this is the same word that they would have used for talking about family. So Paul calls us, the church, a family, a household. But today I want to talk to you um, shortly about the house being under attack. The house under attack. These are difficult days. It was this past week, my wife and I live in Wake Forest, North Carolina, 
that a 15-year-old in the city of Raleigh shot several people, including, I believe, his brother. Um, these are the days when in our schools, I was just talking last night to a teacher who was saying in the schools just how the depression and the suicide and the drugs and everything else is just tearing down the students of our nation. We could look at the divorce rates in our country, worse than ever before. The riots, the unrest, and let us not even start talking about the false teaching. Um, the gospel is being walked all over across our nation. So I could give many, many examples. Just take a second. You can put your hands to your head. And just imagine one thing, okay? Just imagine one thing that you know of that makes these days difficult. So these are difficult days. But we're not the first ones to go through difficult days. Our parents and our grandparents, our great-grandparents, and many, many, many of our forefathers and mothers have gone through difficult days. And so what are people to do? Well, today I want us to look at not verse 15, actually, but the beginning of chapter 3, all the way down through verse 7 of 1 Timothy, and really ask the question, who will lead us during these difficult days? Who should lead us in these difficult days? Now, the simple answer here should be, we should all respond, who should lead us in these difficult days? Who is the head of the body? The body of Christ. It's, Christ is the head. So if Jesus isn't the head of our body, if Jesus isn't the one that's leading us and sustaining us, you cease to exist. Or just a bad, you're just a bad imitation of what could be. So if we are to be a true church, Christ is the head. I preached here a while back on the feeding of the 5,000, and it's there that we see that Jesus is our good, good shepherd. Jesus is our good, good shepherd. But God in his great grace for us has also provided under-shepherds, fallible men who can lead the congregation, who can lead the church, who can lead the family of God. Now, I realize this is a strange thing to preach about at a Bible conference. You might be thinking to yourself, why, why are we going to talk about pastors at a Bible conference? Well, I want to argue today that the familyness, the household, the house of God, the purity, the mission, the mission of the gospel that all men and women would come to be saved, that truth, the doctrine, the gospel will fall if the house is divided, and it will fall if she is not led by Christ. So ultimately, Christ is our shepherd, but he has also given us men of God to lead her. So, you have been given Pastor Harley and Pastor Paul 
who love you. And I can't say that enough. Like, you really need to just sit on that for a second, right? Either your pastors love you or they don't. And I would say, from what I've seen, they love you. That is a beautiful thing. But we also have a problem. Past, Pastor Paul and Pastor Harley, they are not Jesus, and they will not live forever. And they are not perfect. And so, as a church, what do we need? One, we need to make sure that we're always going back to the true head of the church. Who is our good shepherd? Jesus. But also, where did these men come from? Where did Pastor Paul and Harley come from? Did they just magically fall from the sky one day in baskets carried by birds? <laughs> Boop! And the Lord said, <laughs> No. They came from a church or churches, from mothers and fathers, sisters and brothers, brothers and sisters in Christ who brought them up to lead the church. So today I want us to think about what would it look like to be in a multitude of men like Pastor Paul and Pastor Harley who could lead in love like they do, like Jesus loves us. You don't have to turn here, but 2 Timothy 2.2 says a very interesting thing. It says, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. What you have heard from me, the ESV says, in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Which is why I have entitled this sermon, Entrusted. Entrusted. From the church, for the church. What does entrusted mean? Um, the Oxford English Dictionary defines it like this. To assign the responsibility for something valued, which I'm arguing is Christ's body, his very household. So the responsibility for something valued or important to a person, to put one's trust in a person with regard to a particular task or responsibility. And that is what pastors are. They have been giving, given a task. They have been entrusted with the gospel, the doctrine, and to steer the ship towards Christ. So today I have three points for my sermon. They go like this. One, the need for faithful men. The need for faithful men. Two, the character of pastors. The character of pastors. And three, the responsibility of the church. Our responsibility. Okay? So the need for faithful men, the character of pastors, and the responsibility of you. Read 1 Timothy 3 with me, starting in verse 1. This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, and that word bishop there is used many times across the New Testament. Um, it's just a synonym 
used elsewhere for shepherd, pastor, overseer, elder, bishop. When you see those words in the New Testament, Paul uses all three of them in Acts 16. Maybe 18. I should have written that down. But the important thing to remember is that he uses these terms all the same way. They're just the leaders of the church. So the office of a bishop. He desireth a good work. A bishop, then, must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. So, Point one, the need for faithful men. Many of you have been burned, have been seared by bad leadership. It might have been your father. It might have been a teacher at your school. It might be the mayor of your town. It might be a friend of a at the head of a club. You might have even been burned by a pastor in your past and you don't trust people because of it. If anything, all of us can probably agree that at some point you've been burned by a government official. Okay? So I know all of us just, we understand this idea that people make mistakes. So the stakes are high. People make mistakes, so the stakes are high. We've all been burned by bad leadership. Kent Hughes puts it this way. He was a pastor in Chicago. He says, quote, I learned early in ministry and with some pain to be very careful in respect to the character of those appointed to church leadership. By my mid-30s, after a little more than a decade in the ministry, I had, quote, seen it all as to the duplicity and hypocrisy an immense evil that can exist in church leaders. I knew a man who was, a prominent, who was prominent in his denomination and community, a married man with a family, who was discovered to be practicing homosexuality. In another instance, the church treasurer appeared in the church on a Sunday morning, dead drunk, glass in hand, wildly whispering that he was leaving his wife and family and was departing on a private jet for the Middle East. I have known, he says this, I have known pious, Bible-quoting, soul-winning murderers. Some of you are probably thinking, I've seen worse. <laughs> and some of you may be thinking, I've never seen anything that bad, okay, right? Especially if you've been here, hopefully. <laughs> all right, all right. 
Pastor Paul isn't running off to the Middle East, okay? He's, he's right here. Okay. But maybe you might be thinking, I haven't seen anything that bad. But I want to give you a true warning here. And hopefully most of you have seen this with experience. It can be that bad. It can get that bad if we as a church do not take our responsibility to stand firm on the gospel. If we do not take that responsibility, it can get that bad. So there is a need for faithful men. So what should our pastors look like? So if we don't want that to happen, we want our church to be effective, to stand on the truth of the gospel. If we want it to be, like verse 15 said, the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. So if we want to be truth, a light in the world, what must our leaders look like? So point one, the need for faithful men, but point two, the character of pastors. This will help us identify. So starting in verse two, Paul lays out what our pastors should look like. He says this, a bishop then must be blameless. Must be blameless. Now this word we do not use very often in our society. I don't remember the last time I called someone a blameless man. Blameless man. Um, some translations would translate this as above reproach. Above reproach. Also another phrase that we don't use very often. But this just has the idea of that this man walks with Christ so closely that to attack him would be to attack Christ. His life exemplifies Jesus and the gospel so much that to make an, exact, to make an accusation would be to take a dull butter knife and to start cutting a log with it. It just doesn't work. It's like taking a dry pancake and throwing it against the wall, expecting it to stick. It doesn't. And nobody likes dry pancakes. Okay. So first, he must be above reproach and blameless, which really ties into everything Paul's about to say. It's almost like an umbrella term. Just this man walks with God so closely that what can be said but that he is of Christ. Now, the second thing Paul says is interesting. He says, the husband of one wife. Now, many people have debated what this phrase means. What does this mean of a pastor? Some have argued that it means not polygamous, to which I say, well, duh, okay. <laughs> but then others have taken it farther to mean not divorced, not remarried, or maybe just faithful to his spouse. And I don't want to get in the weeds right here. We only have so much time, and today we're just trying to do a, a flyby. What does a, a pastor look like? And so I think it's enough to say that it seems that Jesus cares about a pastor's relationships, and specifically to this one person. So whether a man who's been remarried can be a pastor, I think is already we're taking it too far because the question here is, is this man a gospel-exemplifying man? 
And so we see in the book of Ephesians that a marriage is supposed to picture the gospel. So the love of the husband is supposed to be a sacrificial love that mirrors the sacrificial love of Jesus on the cross. So if that sacrificial love is not there, how is he supposed to be an under-shepherd of Christ? Because what I want us to remember as we go through all of these qualifications is that every single man in this world has fallen short. But Jesus never did. So what we're looking for is men who will come under Christ, who are under-shepherds, who can shepherd like Christ. Thirdly, vigilant. Vigilant. So the translators of the King James Bible here went with a more figurative translation of this word. This word often would be used during this time period of people that weren't drunks. So this has a lot to do with not being intoxicated with wine. But sometimes it was used figuratively, which might, where, where you might get the idea of vigilant, to where it's a man that's not enslaved to anything. He's not enslaved to anything. He does not idolize things. He doesn't take wine and alcohol and make it his God. So when we're looking for a pastor, we're looking for someone who hasn't taken the creation and worshipped it as the creator. And I think this is really difficult for every single one of us, including myself, and that is we all are idol factories, as John Kelvin said. We're idol factories. We all make idols and we worship idols. For some of you, two hours from now, that'll be NFL football. For others of you, five hours from now, it might be shopping at wherever ladies shop now, Macy's? I don't know. <laughs> shopping. For others of us, it will be sitting in that comfy chair after church and the comfort and stability of home. For some of us, it's entertainment. For some of us, it's pleasure. For some of us, it's comfort. The things of this world, and we take those things, and what do we do? We put them up there, and we say, we don't need God as long as I have this thing that God made. And so right here, we see Paul encouraging Timothy, when we're looking for pastors, we need to find a man that his greatest and most important thing in his life is Jesus. Because if he has replaced the creator with anything else, he is not going to be able to lead you to worship the creator. Fourthly, sober. Sober. Now, this just means self-controlled. Sometimes in the Roman days, this would be used of a man who wasn't tempted by bribes, which is something we don't see a lot in our culture, bribery. It's not super common. Uh, my siblings, a few of them were adopted from Ukraine. And in Ukraine, and many nations across the world, if you want a judge to do anything, you have to give them money because that's how it works. If you want a police officer to arrest someone, you have to pay them first. It's, it's a society of bribery. So I know we're not super familiar with that, but it's, it's this idea of a man that's controlled by Christ and not controlled, again, by things of this world, by money or bribery. He's careful, responsible. So what is he controlled by? He's controlled by the Spirit. 
Moving to the next one. And by the way, there's going to be a test on these later, so make sure you memorize them. Okay. Of good behavior. Of good behavior. Held in high esteem. So when we're looking for a pastor, if you say his name and several children in the room say, oh, not him, (laughs) what is his reputation? Is he known as a man of Christ, a good leader? I think we all know what that means. So someone's reputation, is it of good behavior? Now this next one is a little bit harder to understand, and that is given to hospitality. How many of you, when you think of men in your life, think of hospitality? Who do you usually think of? His, his wife, his wife. Okay, my grandma is a perfect example of this. She is wonderful. You walk into her house and you will be asked two questions. What can I get you? And do you want some Pepsi? (laughs) Always a drink, some food, take a seat, talk. And I really saw a beautiful picture of this growing up in my grandparents' house. So my grandfather was a pastor and my grandmother, his wife. And during his 35 years as a pastor, I can't think of very many times where they didn't have someone in their home. They almost were always taking someone in. A few times, very questionable people. Um, Drug addicts. um, Homeless. um, Sometimes family, which is the most dangerous of all, okay? (laughs) But they just had a culture in their home of taking care of the needy. It's in 1 Peter 4, 9 that we read, show hospitality to one another. So one of the one main ways we can show hospitality is to people in need in the household of God. Paul puts it that way in 1 Thessalonians when he talks about work. If you don't take care of your own family, you're like the Gentiles. I mean, if you have a child and don't feed them, what kind of father or mother are you, right? And so it's just this idea of taking care of the family of God. But in Hebrews, we also see it go even farther to where we're told to show hospitality to those outside of the church, to people maybe even like our enemies, going back to the Samaritan on the road, taking care of our enemies. So someone that's aspiring to be a pastor should be hospitable, given to hospitality, apt to teach, apt to teach. Now, again, a lot of ink has been spilled on these words. Some have said this means that he must be a skilled orator, a a teacher that just makes you enthralled with his teaching. I told my wife this morning, I don't think I have one story in this sermon, which is usually not a good idea for keeping people awake. (laughs) But it's interesting, because nowhere in the New Testament does Paul say, make sure those teachers have really good illustrations, or make sure they have really witty jokes. Actually, what he says in Titus 1.9 is this. This is what it means to be apt to teach, to give instruction in sound doctrine and to rebuke those who contradict it. So, going back to the beginning, 
the house is under attack. If the church is going to stand as a light and a buttress of truth during this time period, it's not going to be from entertaining pastors. Okay? If you want a pastor to entertain you, go to a comedy show, not the church. But if we want our church to be faithful to Christ and to see the gospel go out to people, we need the gospel preached, that Christ died, was buried, and rose again for the salvation of our sins. Okay, that is what we need. We need sound doctrine. And for men who will stand against lies, who will contradict false teachers, which is the background of what's happening here in 1 Timothy. So Paul is writing to Timothy here when there are many false teachers around Timothy. And so again, a pastor needs to be characterized by teaching so that he's watching over the flock just like Christ did. Um, It's interesting, going back to the feeding of the 5,000, it says that he had compassion on them. And what did he do? He sat down with them and taught them. Next, not given to wine. I'm not going to repeat everything I said about being vigilant, but it's the same thing. A man that's addicted to wine, alcohol, we could add many things here. Video games, social media, NFL football. If he is addicted to anything, he's not going to be vigilant and he is not going to watch over the flock. The shepherd that's playing video games, instead of watching over the sheep, it's those sheep that are going to go astray. No striker, not greedy, a filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous. No striker, but patient. Now this one is very, very important. I think in the United States especially, we respect something in leaders. We respect a leader that can slap people around. Okay? That's the American way, right? Carry a big stick, right? That's, that's how Americans, we like leading. And this is somewhere where I think biblical leadership is different. So in, in our society, we respect a man that can beat up the bad guy, right? He carries a big stick. But the leaders of the church that Paul actually calls our leaders to be like is actually correcting falsehoods, rebuking, yes, but not a striker, not violent, but gentle. So this isn't the idea of passive, but it's the idea of loving. We do not discipline our children in order to hurt them. We discipline them out of love to guide them. And this is very important. So if my son has disobeyed me, I do not want to punish him over and beyond that which is needed to correct him and to lead him on his way. And it's in the same way, a man that carries a big stick and slaps people around, even if he gets the job done, that's not how Christ did things. So we see not greedy, 
not covetous. Again, this is just going back to the idea of who is his God. Is it wine? Is it money? Or is it Christ? Moving on to verse 4. One that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Now this is interesting, going back to this image of house. So if the church is a house, the church is the household of God. Paul is telling Timothy that a pastor, what his house looks like, his household, that's what the household of God is going to start to look like. So if he can't rule this house well, how do you expect him to watch over this house? Now it's very simple. It's just going to be a mirrored image. But it's interesting, too, what he calls the household of God. It's the church of God. This is God's church. So think about this. This is not a country club. It's not a grocery store. It's not the United States of America. It's God's church. So when we're looking for a pastor, we want a man that is going to watch over his family in a way that when he takes that, those same principles, you can see how he watches his family, and that's, then you'll know that's what the church will look like when he's watching over the church. And this is important. James says teachers will be judged with greater strictness. And as the book of Hebrews states, Speaking of pastors, speaking to people like you and me, obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give account. So your pastors are going to give an account for your souls, your well-being. So it's a very lofty task. So if he cannot watch over his own children we should not place him in the charge of these souls. Which brings us back to verse 6. And this one sounds funny, but I've, I've seen it happen many times. Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. This is a very simple principle, okay? So this is a very lofty task. He is in charge of guiding and shepherding, like Christ's shepherd, souls, human beings. So are you going to put that task in the hands of a novice? Or you might say this has the idea of like a little sprout, like a small plant. As I was thinking about this, I thought about bringing our son Titus home recently from the hospital. So my wife and I were recounting when we drove our first son home from the hospital. You're like this at the steering wheel. Like, like you're watching all the cars in your mirrors, like, stay away. You're like, you're really nervous because it's a very lofty task taking a baby home from the hospital for the first time. It's like, what are we going to do? And what parents in the, in the right mind would say, hey, Paul, hey, you're going to drive us home today from the hospital. You got this. We know you're only two years old, 
but you, you're really skilled. Our son Paul is actually very athletic, very coordinated. And they're like, all right, you got this, bud. Get behind the steering wheel, okay? We're going to be in the back holding Titus, all right? You get us home. That's crazy. But for some reason, when it comes to talented, good-looking, good speakers, entertaining men, I've seen it where men have only been believers just a few years, and then we want to give them one of the most difficult tasks there is. And this is not to um, push down any young believer. That's, it's not that you're less valuable for just coming to Christ. It's just, it's a difficult task. Well thought of by outsiders. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. So finishing off the character of pastors, we have Paul kind of making the sandwich like Paul does. So he started with blameless, and now he ends with well thought of by outsiders. So the people outside of the church, they know this man, and they could not say a bad thing about him. So when we're looking for someone to lead the church, remember how we said we want the church to be a place where the truth is held and the gospel is proclaimed. We want it to be the light. If it's going to be a light, if the pastor is thought poorly of by those outside, you're going to have a much, much more difficult time sharing the gospel with people. Are you not? So, well thought of by outsiders. So, there's a great need for faithful men we covered the character of pastors, but now I want to talk about the responsibility of the church. So hang with me for just a second. We're closing, we're closing it up, but what does this have to do with me? So many of you probably have sat here for the last 20 minutes. I actually have no idea how long that just was, but you've been sitting here, and you might have been thinking this, yes, those people should be like that. Yeah, like, yeah, pastors should be that way, but I'm good. I'm not a pastor. <laughs> what does this have to do with me? I want to read something to you. If you would turn over to 2 Timothy with me, this passage should knock the socks off of you. First Timothy, second, sorry, 2 Timothy 1, starting in verse 4. So this is Paul, again, speaking to Timothy. He says this, verse 4, Greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee. So Timothy is fighting the fight. He's fighting the good fight. He's doing gospel ministry. Paul has joy because of Timothy, which... Dwell first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that it is in thee also. Where did these men come from? Where did Pastor Harley come from? Where did Pastor Paul come from? Where do pastors come from, church? The answer is from you. From you. Jesus has given the great commission to all of us. Go into all the world, make disciples. If 
you don't believe me, turn over one more page to Titus chapter 2. Now Paul's encouraging Titus, and he says in chapter 2, but speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men... Wait a minute, so he's not talking about pastors anymore, but he says the aged men must be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience. The aged women, likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children. And what we see in the whole New Testament is what Paul has just told Timothy pastors are to look like. You know who else is supposed to look that way? You, the church. So I want to give you three practical takeaways from this passage, okay? So if you were to write three things down today, write these three things down that you can do this week to follow God's word. And that's number one is pursue godliness in your walk with Christ. Pursue godliness in your walk with Christ. How many of you have been in the book of James this summer? Okay, many of you have been in the book of James. What is a main theme of James but that he who doesn't take care of widows and orphans, who does not have works but says he has faith, what does he say about it? I mean, it's dead. dead. I mean, think about that, like a dead corpse on the ground. You can say a dead corpse is alive, but it's just laying there, and it's dead. And in the same way, when we as followers of Christ, the church, remember going back to 1 Timothy 3.15, if we call ourselves the house of God, the household of God, the family of God, but we look nothing like our Father, that's dead. I heard a pastor one time, an illustration, I may have even said it here before, that has always really struck me. He put it this way. He said, if I were late to preach to you and said, the reason I'm late today is because I got run over by a tractor-trailer truck, what would you say to him? You'd say, you're a liar, or you're crazy because you're here. You definitely weren't run over by a tractor-trailer truck. Well, let me put it to you like this. If you say you've been saved by Jesus Christ, that you've placed your faith in the living God, you've come into contact with the Son of God, and there's no difference, there's no change, then you're either a liar or a lunatic. Pursue godliness in your walk with Christ. Number two, teach, disciple, and mentor the young in the faith so they can do likewise. So going back to 2 Timothy 2.2, Paul taught Timothy, who taught faithful men, who was to teach others that were going to do the same and do the same and do the same. Guys, the reason you're here today is because someone 2,000 years ago shared the gospel with another person who shared the gospel with another person who shared the gospel with another person who shared the gospel with another person, another person, another person. 2,000 years later, you sit here, you love Jesus and love his word, and that's because someone passed it along. We need to teach and disciple and mentor the young in the faith so they can do likewise. There will be no more Pastor Pauls or Harleys if you do not take your responsibility. There will be no more. So if we are going to have a church that is a light 
in, this, in these difficult, dark days, you need to take your responsibility. Take someone that's younger than you and hasn't been with Christ as long and lead them along the way. Okay? So, is there a change in your life? Number one, pursue godliness. And then number two, are you helping someone else pursue godliness? And then number three, call faithful men to the ministry. So when you see someone that's all of these qualifications, don't ask if he's been to seminary. Don't ask if he's really entertaining or the best teacher or attractive or he's friends with everyone. Ask, is he a man that meets these qualifications? God has called us to call faithful men who are blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that rules well in his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride he fall into the condemnation of the devil. He must have a good report of them which are without. Are you calling men like this? I end on this. God has called us to call these men to pursue godliness in our own lives and to bring others along the way like Eunice and Lois that are from the church and for the church, under Christ and for Christ, that the gospel, so this is a Bible conference, that the Bible, the good news of the word of God, the truth of Jesus would be made known to all people. It's the name of your church, Gospel Baptist. Let's make it known to all people. Let's pray. Dear Lord, you are faithful um, even when we are not. I know that um, every church and every time has struggled with these tasks. Um, they are lofty and difficult. Um, we are slow to speak your truth and slow to defend the gospel, I pray that it would not be so. Um, here at Gospel, I pray that the people here would be passionate about your son and his life and resurrection from the dead and that many more, many, many, many more would come to know him as their savior. I pray that you would just use the people in this congregation to raise up new men of God who can lead um, in these dark, difficult days and even as all the evil is around, we have hope in you, Lord. Hope in your son for future days and even now for restoration and redemption to happen. Um, we await your coming, Lord. Please come, Lord. In your son's name I pray. Amen.